Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and another welcome to Stonebridge Community Church. Again, my name is Ryan Jocelyn. I am the Director of Youth and Family Ministries here at Stonebridge Community Church. And sometimes they let me out of my cave to preach to you all. Uh, and that's this morning. Uh, and it's such a joy always to get to think about a sermon for this community. Um, and we are going to continue a series we've been working through here at our church that has been taking a deeper look at something called the Markin Sandwich. And this idea of the Markin Sandwich, well, it's a literary device used by the author Mark to compare and contrast two different stories by splicing them together. The general flow is that story A starts and goes a little bit, and then it gets abruptly interrupted by story B, which starts and then ends, and then story A gets picked up again and finishes. This literary device is used all throughout the text of Mark, and it has different effects depending on how the two stories are used. Today, we will be looking at a sandwich that appears in the middle of the passion narrative. It takes the two stories, the first when Christ is on trial before he will be executed, and the second when Peter, one of his disciples, denies even knowing Jesus in the courtyard nearby. And while we've been doing this series to sort of like illustrate where one story starts and another one picks up, we've been inviting a second reader to the front to read one of the two stories in order to illustrate this. And today, I'm going to be helped by Miss Stephanie, um, who is our Director of Children and Family Ministries and is an excellent reader of scripture, bar none. Um, a lot of pressure. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, it is. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Katie Curtis did a 9 a.m. service, and she knocked it out of the park. So. Yeah, that's a, tough, that's a tough follow for yeah. me. So. <laughs> um, I'm going to have Stephanie read story A, and then I will pick up story B. Great. And Stephanie, whenever you're ready. All right. Jesus before the council. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, The elders and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. The guards also took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the female servants of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, you were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, 
I do not know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. And the female servant, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Then, after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and you talk like one. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know this man you were talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Steph. Will you please all pray with me? Holy God, I thank you that we can gather today as a community. I thank you for another day of life, another beautiful morning. God, as we dive into these two stories, help us to see how you are speaking to our hearts this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. When I started to approach this passage for this sermon, my first thought was how little we actually talk about the passion narrative outside of Holy Week. It seems fairly rare we talk about Jesus's trial outside of the context of Good Friday. So when a Mark and Sandwich shows up here to provide us another opportunity to take a look at these emotional passages, we got to take it. And these are tough emotions we're talking about here. There's injustice, there's fear, things that are, are uncomfortable, yet a reality of our daily world. And so in studying this passage, there was something that immediately stood out to me. And it's Jesus's affirmation of himself as the Messiah to this council, despite the threat of being silenced, the threat of violence, and the threat of death. It's a choice that stood out so starkly to me because of the character Jesus is being contrasted with inside of the sandwich, which is Peter. Peter here is completely overtaken by his fear. And instead of affirming his relationship with Jesus, he denies it, cowers from it. And perhaps because I'm reading it outside of the season of Holy Week, I began to see Jesus's choice in a new light. I began to see it as an act of courage. And I think the sandwich of these two stories heightens Christ's actions as courageous because it contrasts Peter's fear so clearly. Now, sometimes when we have read through these stories of the Mark and Sandwiches, the text is not always clear why those two stories are going together. But here there's much agreement as to why these two stories are placed together. And it's to give the feeling that as Jesus is affirming himself, Peter is denying him at the same exact moment. These are happening simultaneously, Jesus on trial and Peter in the courtyard. I envisioned this like a good movie, right? You have a screen split right down the middle. You have a close-up on their faces. And as they say the words at the same time, you get one affirming himself and the other denying him. It's powerful. And it just really elevates their actions. And it becomes just so clear the virtue of Jesus and the faults of Peter. Jesus who can stand courageously in affirming himself and Peter who lets fear decimate him from the inside out denying Christ, leading to three different denials. 
Yet what's so fascinating about this passage is really how empathetic Peter truly is. How that feeling of fear is so real and palpable in our world today. I see fear everywhere across our country and world. The fear of the other, the fear of difference, the fear of the unknown. And I see how apathy, hatred, and violence are fueled by this fear. And it seems to be rampant all over the place. We know fear. And this is why Christ's actions, I think, had such an effect on me as I read through the text this time. Because fear does not overcome Christ, despite everything that seems to be coming to tear him down. And I think as we look at this passage a little more, we can see how Christ's affirmation of himself as the Messiah is a courageous act that affirms not only himself, but also his ministry, that of love and hope as a path forward in a time of fear. The courage I think Jesus is displaying here is not a courage I would associate with the battle with a battle or fighting, but it's a courage that theologian Paul Tillich has called a courage to be. Oftentimes, courage is heavily associated with an act of running into battle to defeat someone. But that doesn't really fit Jesus here in this trial or his teachings at all. As Jesus stands trial before this council, the text makes it clear to us that they already had a verdict in mind. They were out to kill Jesus. They were feeling threatened by Jesus and his ministry and decided that they needed to silence Jesus finally and ultimately. And so they go through the trial and it's clear that the testimonies they bring before the council, well, they don't really line up. They don't really accurately quote Jesus. And we get the feeling that they lack the evidence they need to bring this to a verdict that would allow them to bring it before the Roman officials. And it isn't till the chief priest turns to Jesus and asks him straight up whether he is the Messiah. And that's when they get what they're looking for. And that's the moment that really sticks out, right? Because instead of remaining silent as he did during the first part of the trial, Jesus affirms himself as the Messiah. Knowing that they would get the evidence they were looking for, he still reveals his identity, unafraid of their power to end his life or to create violence against him or to silence his ministry. He affirms to them that he is indeed the Messiah. And now they have all they need in order to convict him. Because in their eyes, when Jesus declares to be the Messiah, he's equating himself to God. And for this counsel, that can only mean blasphemy worthy of death. But he stands firm in who he is. Instead of remaining silent and letting the council think whatever they want, he affirms to them that he is the Messiah. Instead of trying to escape, he stands before them taking ownership and responsibility over his identity and ministry. And this courage is not one that I think I would associate with trying to defeat someone in battle. Because Jesus never thinks his enemies are people to attack or dominate. In fact, he's extremely clear about how we should treat our enemies. We should pray for them with love. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, he purposely uses the characters of a Judean and a Samaritan because those people hate each other. And he says that hate that's not strong enough to care for someone else, to love someone else. That's what's more important. So this is not a courage of fighting his enemies. Instead, it's a courage that reminds me of how Paul Tillich described courage 
in his book, The The Courage to Be. In that book, he works through how courage is at the heart of life and faith. And to paraphrase him, he defines courage as the ability to affirm oneself despite all the forces and powers that seek to tear oneself down. In his book, Tillich is talking about meaninglessness and nihilism specifically. Whereas in the context of this passage, Jesus is affirming himself in the face of the threat of being silenced, the threat of violence, and the threat of death. Jesus has courage in this sense, to stand up to these forces that seek to tear him down, to stand firm in who he is and what his ministry is. He affirms himself as the Messiah despite the powers that oppose him. And in doing so, he affirms his ministry as the ministry of God. In the entire Gospel of Mark, this is the first time that Jesus reveals himself publicly as the Messiah. Others may have known or assumed, but this is the first time he truly owns it. And it's in front of those who oppose him. And by claiming to be the Messiah, he also claims that all that he has taught, all that he has done in his ministry is ordained by God. His ministry is the ministry of God. I can't express enough how important I think this choice to affirm himself and his ministry is. So often I think Jesus is thought of having to do or say something, but that takes away his agency and ultimately what makes him so important, that he is both human and God. He's a human just like us. He has to make choices just like us and he has to make tough choices in the face of fear, just like we do. And here he is choosing to affirm himself at this moment because he is showing this trial that God is doing something in the world and it is through him and his ministry. The ministry of Christ is divine, not merely good. An affirmation and this affirmation of himself and his ministry is a yes to what Christ is about in the face of fear. When he affirms himself, he affirms his ministry. And when he affirms his ministry, he affirms what his ministry is about. And what his ministry is about for me is a ministry centered on the practice of love in this world. I think one of the major tenets of Jesus's ministry, and what I feel so deeply when I read this passage, is this idea of love and the way Jesus calls us into a new way of being in this world that is centered on love. Whether it be the teachings of the greatest commandment to love God and love neighbor, or the calling to care for the least of these in our society, those who are most oppressed, or the way he is so careful with those seeking healing and wanting to connect. Love is abundant in the ministry of Christ. It's what I think so many of us find compelling about Jesus, that as God, he displays a love that feels revolutionary. It feels fresh today, even though his message is over 2,000 years old. Because we know what it's like to experience places where love does not seem to be at the center. I think when Jesus calls those to follow him and repent from their old ways, he is calling us to turn away from that which silences loving action in this world, as the religious leaders tried to do to him during this trial. Jesus Jesus calls us to embrace a way of living that prioritizes loving our neighbors and loving God. It's the lens through which I believe 
Jesus focuses his entire ministry. So when he is asked to affirm himself when he is on trial, he does so. He says, yes, I am the Messiah and my ministry, that one that is of love is what God is calling us to do in this world. It's it's courage in which he makes this choice that despite those who wish to kill him and silence him, he still will affirm his ministry. And as Jesus is able to do this in the face of fear, we turn back to Peter who denies Jesus in the face of fear. And for those of us who have read the gospels and know these stories well, it's always shocking when Peter fails here and denies Jesus. Because Peter, he's just the guy, right? He's the first of the disciples to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He's the one who is so zealous for Jesus's ministry. And he was nicknamed Rock because he was such a solid dude. Why does he fail here? Why does he fail in this moment to stand with Jesus? Like I said at the beginning, I I think it's safe to assume here that it's fear that dominates Peter. And I think we can empathize with that because we too have felt fear and failed to live into a calling of love when it was difficult. In Peter's case, Fear drives him away from whatever consequences he would have faced for aligning himself with Jesus. We don't know for sure what would have happened to Peter, but we can probably assume it wouldn't have been good. Maybe he would have died on the cross as well and been executed, perhaps arrested and beaten, maybe mocked into shame and hiding. The truth is we don't really know what could have happened. All we do know is that he let his fear take over. He let fear dictate his actions. And instead of having courage to affirm Christ and his ministry, he denies it. Even to the point of cursing himself, should he be lying about knowing Jesus? Peter in this Mark and Sandwich is a clear foil to Jesus. He contrasts so sharply against Christ that the courage Jesus has to affirm himself in his ministry just rises to the top so starkly. Peter's failure speaks volumes, yet, unfortunately, it feels so relatable. I say relatable because fear is something we all feel. It's just the truth. We are all afraid at times. And as I said before, it just feels like fear is all around me in this country and world. It's on all sides, all spectrums. I just don't feel like I can escape it right now. And it leads to actions and attitudes that appear closer to Peter than to Jesus. Whether it be big moments or small ones, fear has led to so much apathy and pain in this world. When we are fearful, we turn inwards. We become self-centered and we seek to find ways to protect ourselves instead of seeking ways to give of ourselves. We become less vulnerable, and by consequence, we become less able to live into the calling of Jesus's ministry, the calling of the hope of resurrection, this calling of love. Sometimes I will hear people talk about denying Jesus as denying an affiliation with Jesus. 
But I think in a practical sense, what it means to deny Jesus is to deny this calling of being loving in the world. Do we let fear prevent ourselves from affirming Christ's ministry of love like Peter? Or do we have the courage to be loving even when we are vulnerable, even when we are fearful? The courage to be loving is what I think Christ is demonstrating in this moment while he is on trial. And it is the courage that gives me hope in this world, even when fear is a threat to take over. As I said before, I believe that when Jesus affirms himself as the Messiah, he is affirming his ministry of love to be of God and affirms it in the face of a council and trial that sought to silence and kill him. When fear was a real possibility for Christ to perhaps remain silent or try and escape, he does not cower, but instead has courage. He is vulnerable before this council, and yet he still choose, chooses to have courage and affirm himself, regardless of the consequences that may come. It's a startling contrast to Peter and the way fear takes him over, and the way fear has taken over the hearts of so many in our world. This courage Christ displays gives me much hope as an antidote to the fear that I see not only in myself at times, but also all around me. Because as Jesus displays this courage, he affirms that his ministry of love is what we are called to do in this world. And it is what we can trust and hope in when we feel fear come upon us. We can trust that this courage to be loving is what God is calling us to do in this world to stand firm against fear. A courage to affirm that it is loving God, loving our neighbor, caring for the most oppressed, creating spaces, spaces of healing is what participating with God in the reconciliation of all things looks like. Trusting that it is through these actions that God works within us and through us to transform our communities. And I think it does take some trust and faith here because in a moment when we are fearful, we are vulnerable and it requires us to live into that vulnerability and trust that God is going to work through us. This courage Jesus displays here is where I find hope and courage in my own life most days. It's easy to be overwhelmed by all that is around me and just roll over to fear. But I find the courage to be loving when I remember that it is what God has called me to do. This is what Jesus affirmed in the face of violence and death, not a courage to fight or attack, not a fear to turn inwards and run, but a courage to be loving and to trust that it is through this courage to be loving that God works in this world. Amen. As we continue in worship by bringing our tithes and offerings, I'm going to invite the uh, ushers forward. Um, let us pray together and give thanks for all that we have. Holy God, we thank you for uh, all that you have given us, all the gifts, whether it be financial, whether it be the gifts of the spirit that you've given us. God, help us to learn how to be giving through it. Help us to be loving with our gifts. God, we are so thankful for the way that you have blessed us. And God, help us to give back and bless our community. Amen. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. 
trust.